Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the Jacaranda Nigeria Limited. That is the name of a project that a group of U.S. journalists embarked on in the 1980s. These were American journalists, black journalists at big U.S. news outlets who found themselves facing racism, frankly, at their employers and decided to go to Nigeria to try to launch a new television project. It was a very idealistic operation. It was an adventure. And it turned out to be both incredibly enlightening for them, but also not exactly what they signed up for. They ran up against censorship there. They ran up against a coup. They all went home. But the whole experience tells us so much about the, the racism in media, both in 1980 and what it looks like today, and also just what, what it's like to like try to launch something completely new um, in a place that isn't used to this kind of journalism. Our staff reporter, Faven Merid, reported and wrote this piece, and she's joining me today to talk about her reporting process, how she went about finding these people um, from 40 years ago, what she learned about them and about what they knew and learned about U.S. media and doing this kind of adventure somewhere else. Thrilled to have her joining us. Welcome, Faven. Faven, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I remember when we first talked about this story, which was right as you were joining in a new role at CJR, which what was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, almost like two years ago. Yeah, almost. <laughs> and I remember you were like entranced by this idea, and I, and I didn't initially understand what it was that you were talking about. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> all I knew is that it was like there's this cool project that these journalists in America went to, and it was complicated. And but so tell me how you how this first came on your radar. And what intrigued you about it? Yeah, so when I was a fellow, um, I learned about it. We were doing the Beyond Atonement project with um, Alex Neeson, who at the time was our staff writer. And it was a project where me and the other fellows were supposed to look back at CJR's coverage um, since the magazine's beginning. And I was looking at the 80s and 90s. Um, and then I found this article about Black television workers at the big networks, CBS, uh, ABC, that those types of places. It was an article that was detailing all of the ways that they were being marginalized and shut out of opportunities to progress in their careers. And at the end of the article, a man named Randy Daniels talked about how he recruited 20 or so highly skilled Black television workers, producers, directors engineers, just like everyone who you need to run a broadcast, um, and recruited them to go work in Nigeria for the Nigerian Television Authority. And that was the end of the article. That's where um, the info stopped. And so I looked for more information on the project and what happened on the trip, but I couldn't find anything. So it sort of became like this fixation of mine to figure out what happened um, and find everyone who went on the trip. So let's talk about how you did that. Um, how did you track these people down? Where were they? What was there? Were they just waiting for a reporter to call? I, I know if, um, at least one of them has wrote a book about the experience, which I don't think was published, correct? Yeah. So the 
one of the people who I ended up spending the most time talking to, Barbara Lamont, wrote a book about her time in Nigeria that was never published. And she wrote it while she was there. This was in the early 80s. I've started looking for people just running Google searches, some Lexus, Nexus searches. Um, I was looking for Randy Daniels, a person who recruited everyone and started the company that would take them to Nigeria. Um, I found some traces of him online, but I couldn't get through to him. I reached out through phone numbers and emails that I found, but didn't hear anything back. So for a while, I kind of just like left it. Um, and then I went back to the article hoping that like maybe someone else mentioned might know something. And so I found that someone named Adam Clayton Powell III, whose dad, if anyone's familiar with Harlem, is Adam Clayton Powell Jr., which is what the boulevard is named after. He was quoted in the article as being at CBS at the same time as Randy. So I looked him up and found that he teaches at USC and ended up chatting to him and he told me that he actually went to Nigeria with Randy and he was a part of the whole group. So he connected me with Barbara from Barbara. I got connected to another person and it kind of just went on like that. Mm. Um, one person connected me with another because there was sort of like a loose network maintained between the people who went. Your piece um, in CJR opens with Barbara yeah, and, and her attempt to get get some new job. She was at CBS News Radio, and she basically kept hitting a kind of like ceiling on growth at the company. And again and again and again, she would go to them looking for promotion, looking for more opportunity, Yeah, and wouldn't get it. Finally, there was a job open in Beijing, which she was perfect for because she had studied uh, Mandarin, right? And didn't get that either. And and I think one of the reasons that this story I think has such resonance today is it's it was set up as like noting how few opportunities there were then for journalists of color, mm-hmm. especially for black journalists at a lot of these outlets. And by the way, how how that still continues today, right? But that was why that was why a lot of these people were interested in making this move. Just tell me about what you learned about the state of the U.S. media at the time when it came to hiring and promoting Black journalists? So it was an interesting time because it was... By the way, this is like 1980, 81, right? Yeah, early 80s, a little over 10 years after the Kerner Report was published and called out all of the issues that they found in the media Um at the end of the 60s and the the lack of integration in American media. And so the Kerner Report um, basically charged the media with the task of integrating to more accurate, accurately reflect the racial makeup of America. So the years following, there were these initiatives or there was an effort or there was supposed to be an effort to integrate. But by the time of the 80s, Um, American media was still pretty segregated. Um, There was a lot of token hiring of Black journalists and other non-white journalists, but not a lot of meaningful integration in terms of bringing 
on a more representative group of people to, to join media and to actually progress into roles that shape news coverage and news stories like editors and producers and managers. And so Barbara, she enters media around the time of the Kerner Report being published. And um, by the early 80s, she's at CBS. She's been a journalist for 10 years and she has worked her way up to to CBS, which is great in that sense, but she's still being shut out of like the opportunities she actually wants. Um, she's still a reporter. She's not getting to do sort of the other things that her white colleagues are doing in terms of doing different beats, like covering business stories or being foreign correspondent. She really wanted to go to Beijing and work out of the Beijing Bureau for CBS because it was newly opened um, at that time. And she was one of the only reporters who spoke Mandarin, but she was still just flat out rejected. So that was very reflective of the state of media for Black journalists, just being sort of placeholders or quota fillers um, for media to look like it was actually becoming more diverse. But in reality, it was just sort of using Black people in a way to just appear, but not actually be diverse. And, and it turned out that there were that that was a common thread of view among a lot of the people who originally signed up for this project, right? Yeah. As they began to sort of like search out who wants to join us in this kind of like it was kind of quixotic, somewhat. We're going to go to Nigeria and build a new uh, television operation. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, one of the things that struck me in your piece was like, I mean, it, how many people were like, "Yeah, I'm in." Yeah. That's what struck me too, just because even going through CJR's archives and like reading how African countries were depicted, like it really wasn't anything that was appealing for someone to like leave their lives in America and go and live over there. Like unless you had your own personal knowledge of African countries, like if you were just basing your perception off of American media, like your idea of it wouldn't be too great. Um, And a lot of people were willing to go. which was interesting. And I mean, um, something that Barbara said was that practically like anyone who worked in media at the big networks, again, CBS, ABC, pretty much signed on and agreed to leave their jobs and go, go to Nigeria. Was their motivation, how much of it, how much of it was the draw of adventure and how much of it was disillusionment with the state of uh, play in the United States for Black journalists? I think everyone had a mix, but just to like varying degrees, Barbara herself was more so looking for the opportunity she was being denied, um, but she didn't really have like a sentimental feeling of I'm going to like this ancestral place for me as a Black person. Um, But then there were plenty of journalists who went, who felt that connection, who felt that going to a West African country would be a sort of homecoming. And, you know, it's it's coming off the back of the civil rights movement. Also, you know, Pan-Africanism is a popular and sort of novel idea at this point still um, among Black people. And so there was a lot of promise for just getting to experience life outside of America for Black people in a new way. And yeah, the part of that was adventure. And so everyone sort of had their own, their own mix of the two um, going into it, I would say. And then when they got there, some of the people that they met 
sort of thought they were white. Yeah. It, so they realized like it, it wasn't going to be that simple. They weren't going to go um, to Nigeria and people were going to be like, hello, my brother and sisters. Um, it was more so like they were, they were thought of as American first and foremost. And like, you know, they were easily identifiable by the way they dressed, their hair, the way they looked. They just stood out as American. One thing I remember was that Barbara mentioned they were called out for their jeans and t-shirts and like the things, the casual clothes they would wear. And so they had to deal with that being thought of as American first before being Black and realizing that Blackness doesn't, you know, translate to Nigeria the same way it does in America because Nigeria is a Black country with a lot of complexities, a lot of different ethnic groups and religions and um, so much of its own complex history that them coming into it wouldn't just be a straightforward sort of welcoming as they thought. Yeah. So then they, they get there. They're full of hope. This thing is going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are good signs from the government that the government um, is going to, and the president are going to back them up and help them. Um, and then it sort of like doesn't take too long before they realize that it's maybe not as straightforward as they thought. They have to deal with the National Television Authority uh, there, which is had been used to sort of like broadcasting government propaganda, frankly, and realized that they were going to have to sort of tangle with that and there, and even with the very notion of doing sort of hard hitting journalism was going to be more of a, a fight, right? Yeah. They were thinking that they were going to go in and be in a situation where they wouldn't be censored. Um, and then they quickly found out the more that they were training the journalists from the NTA, the Nigerian Television Authority, and the more that they were showing them like what what would be newsworthy and what are the things you should focus on, um, the more that they were facing pushback from the NTA's managers who had a direct line to the government and knew like when to say no to stories um, and what not to report. It was also during a presidential election cycle. So it was extra sensitive in a way what they could show. And so quickly they learned that they would have to get creative with how they were going to show news and um, how they were going to work with the NTA staff to produce news stories. For the most part, they try to stay hands off of the content of it. But it wasn't that simple. They were journalists, and so they had input and they had things to say. And that ended up influencing what stories were being covered, you know. So they couldn't really avoid it altogether. But they they just had to get creative with the ways that they could show government officials and show different events that, that were newsworthy. And then there was a coup. And there was a coup. (laughs) (laughs) Which made it ultimately untenable. Yeah. And they had to leave. And there's a scene which reminded me, you've seen the movie Argo? No, I haven't. It's a a movie about a group of Hollywood people who go in to Iran during the revolution. Anyway, there's a scene where they're trying to get out of the country. And there's a kind of like question about whether they're going to be able to get out or whether they're going to be detained. And it, it sort of played out in this. I mean, they're, they're like, they, they finally decided they have to leave. 
And one of the characters in the story has to sort of fight her way on onto a plane to finally get out of of the of Nigeria and get to, to Paris. Barbara got out probably at the most tense moment. Um, she stayed the longest and waited for everyone to leave before she left. By then, there was more sort of crackdowns on the borders and who can leave and leave with what. You know, after reading it, there's two things that struck me. One is, did the pe- did people who did this think ultimately that it helped dismiss some of this disillusionment that they had going in? Or did they, how did they sort of, how did they sort of place it in their minds of this, this experience? Um, I mean, everyone who I spoke with doesn't regret it. They look back on it fondly as like an experience that really changed them and also like their views of living in America, placing themselves as just black people globally, like having lived in Nigeria, having lived in America, many of them left their jobs when they when they returned, they didn't return back to their old jobs and they went on and did different things. One person, Betty Davy, ended up doing like documentary filmmaking. One person, Lloyd Weaver, he stayed. Um, he passed uh, sadly two years ago. I didn't get to talk to him, but he stayed and he returned to Nigeria after he left and um, started a production company. Barbara came back and couldn't go back to her old job. She just felt um, like she just, it wasn't something she could do. And so it, I, I think it all changed them um, in terms of just the direction of their lives and what, what they did afterwards. And did, did it make you think about the reasons they were willing to leave in the first place, which is the lack of opportunity for black journalists in big media in the U.S. Yeah. Um, because this was in 1981, and here we are 40 years later. It's not clear the needle has moved that much. Yeah. I mean, it did make me sort of think that no matter where you go as a black journalist, you're going to have pretty enormous challenges whether you go to Nigeria and try to try to report news and do journalism under the censorship there, or you're in America and you're dealing with the all of the issues and racism that exist in the press today here, um, there is sort of no escape wherever you go. And so you kind of have to figure out where you want to make your place in your lane but it won't be easy I guess is sort of what I took away. Fabian it was a great story it's, it was amazing um, it's such a great read and it was amazing that you reported it from here because it doesn't read that way. Thank you I mean it's not too late to send me to Nigeria if you guys want. <laughs> for the follow-up. Yeah, for the follow-up. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again. If you want to read Fabian's story, which I highly encourage you to do, you can check out the link in our show notes. We've also published a Q&A between Fabian and our managing editor, Betsy Murray, on the piece. And you can find that in the show notes too. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.